It is Deep Focus. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman. This is episode two of two, May of 2015, a Monday night, the 25th of the month. Brandon Ross, our guest, and the topic, Keith Jarrett's American Quartet. Brandon and I talked about doing this show for years, literally, and finally got it together to do this. Very excited about it. I think he was enjoying himself as well. Please note there are only two episodes of this. It's cut in two parts rather than the usual three. Um, also, you know, if you're a, a very focused listener, uh, tell me if you notice a difference in the sonic quality of this broadcast. Two people, John and Chad, both um, made recommendations, which we're following here. I'm curious if you notice the difference. Please let us know. And meanwhile, okay, let's get back to the studio. This is a good one. <laughs> it's Brandon Ross on the topic of Keith Jarrett's American Quartet. Deep focus on Mitch Goldman. We really are having a hard time here uh, because of various tempos. Uh, one tempo is is here before we get here, uh, and we bring one with us. And they don't seem to match very well. For example, uh, we gave you a chance to express yourself now. Okay, good night. Those of you who want to save Berlin, please try. Wow. Well, um, <clears throat> that's the way that one ends. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful set of music. An uproarious uh, cheer. Yeah. From a big crowd, obviously, sound to me, sitting on the edge of their seats and drinking it in. Um, but something happened that uh, Keith Jarrett's got a certain infamy for um, responding to audiences and yeah taking people to task as you said mm -hmm. earlier and uh yeah a little bit of a little bit of a funny taste to leave in your mouth it, it's kind of a shame because he was it sounded like he was going to say something that would have been interesting and perhaps useful um customers and uh, uh we didn't get to hear it because he i guess he felt like he was experiencing the thing that he was probably going to comment on by, by, you know, someone in the audience being enthusiastic and not uncharacteristic of of certain type of German audience, actually, I have to say. But there's a thing about that, you know, with, I mean, I've seen Keith play solo and with his trio recently, you know, in recent years past. And certainly he's notorious for saying things to the audience but the other side of that is it's like you know it, it it's and it can get old if you're someone who's really concerned with that it can get old and you know conditions there there are no conditions on this planet that are so-called perfect it's just not going to happen here and there are probably people who know me, and if they're hearing me right now, they're probably laughing, saying, <laughs> hearing that come out of my mouth, because I'm one of those people that I, I really like to get things to a place that uh, where I'm really comfortable, and it's if if it seems possible to me, I want to get there. If it's not possible, okay, I let it go. 
but in terms of this aspect of um, Keith's relationship with an audience, it's kind of like, look, you know, it, in the end, if there's nobody there, you're just a guy playing piano to a room and making things vibrate instead of people. And what we all get together for, what we all come together for with concerts and any kind of gathering is so that we all vibrate. And he started to say some things that made me think he was going to go into that, like talked about the rhythm that they come with or the tempo that they come with and the tempo that exists already and maybe how those things co-mingle and what happens as a result. It could have been a really interesting, you know, metaphysical moment. Hmm. It didn't sound that way to me it sounded like it was a start of a reprimand or something well, but maybe you're maybe it, you're right it, it was it, it may have been i think it was the way i heard it was a precursor to probably what might have been a reprimand but he was talking about something that's true and he said there's a tempo that exists here before we arrive and there's one that we bring with us and that's very true as a performer you and particularly if you've been out on the road or you're in the frequency, the vibration of what it is that you do and the musicians that you're working with, and you arrive in a place that has its own set of vibrational characteristics, and these things uh, commingle and hopefully harmonize together to produce this third outcome, which is a concert, plus there's all of the energy that an audience brings into a room. And so that's probably the the meta environment that's taking place in any gathering, any situation like that. Um, and maybe Keith was going to say nothing to that, and maybe I've just read all this in because it's how I think about a place. But, um, for example, I've been working with JT and Melvin for you know many years, Melvin even longer. If you're just joining us, Brandon Ross is here with us tonight. I'm happy to say we call the show mm-hmm. Deep Focus. And we're putting the magnifying glass on Keith Jarrett. And even from 40 years away, he's, he's squirming under our microscopic view. <laughs> and um, no, that's not fair. But uh, we were talking a little bit earlier. You're referring to the group Harriet Tubman, of which you are a part, along with Melvin Gibbs and J.T. Lewis. Right. By the way, playing a week from Friday, June 5th at New Blue in the East Village. But you were saying. Yeah, I was saying that the... The years that I've associated with Melvin and JT, which are many and in varied musical contexts, but there are situations that have come up recently. We were doing workshops, uh, some master classes at some conservatories in Europe and other places around the world. And it was fascinating because invariably someone would ask a question and one of us would answer. And they'd say something about an aspect of music making or the science of vibration or rhythm or something that I didn't know that I was like I had turned to Melvin he said something once somewhere and I said I said really I, I didn't I didn't I, you know I, you I didn't know that you know that it's like it's it's so wonderful to be around people who continually come up with something and not like they're trying but it's just through the course of life they say something that's really interesting and kind of a revelation so that thing about arriving in a space that has its own characteristics, its own vibrational frequency, its own rhythm, its own tempo, in the case of Keith Jarrett speaking a minute ago. Um, We arrived once to a place and Melvin was talking about the hall and he looked around, he looked at it and he said, yeah, so okay, I'm gonna have to use this other cabinet tonight in this room instead of this other one. 
um, because the bass frequencies in all of these kind of theaters, I think we might have been in, in Italy, I'm not sure, and he said, they have this kind of thing and they don't handle, like with the way I play and where I'm playing, they won't be able to handle this, so we'll use the other cabinet. And I was like, wow, okay, that's like, wow, that's heavy. You know, I didn't really, you know, I didn't know that he was considering all of that. And perhaps there was no reason why I should have thought that or shouldn't have thought that. But those are the kinds of things that, that uh, musicians uh, can be aware of. So I, I heard that with Jared as a, a possible metaphysical moment of mm. enlightenment mm. for people. And particularly was, is 1973. Um, you know, just interesting time on the planet still and mm-hmm. uh, in that country and mm. certainly in the music with what's going on. Um, well, I don't know if you're going to find a place more singularly dedicated to the vibrations human can make humans can make in the pursuit of this thing we call music Hmm. more than this grand concert hall in berlin but i don't know i I, we won't ever know what was exactly (laughs) i guess we won't unless we could call him and ask him what were you going to say because you you probably said it somewhere else the next night maybe maybe (laughs) you know depending on the routing of the tour but i wanted to say listening to that last piece yaki indian folk song um, that I I was n- not to give uh, Keith any short shrift in discussing the improvisation and the merits or benefits of piano playing or the limitations of piano playing or polyphony in, in improvisation, but the, the lyricism that Keith Jarrett has always uh, communicated and played with and the, and the romance um, and the harmonic uh, sophistication were things that really spoke to me very early, immediately about his music, actually, and were the thing that pulled me in uh, to discover more ways that he was expressing that. Lyricism uh, is, is a great word for it because it is, uh, I, I can't think of a pianist who sounds more like he's singing through his instrument, and that kind of uh, harmonious, pastel-colored Hmm. Uh, resonant sort of uh, uh, meditation quality that's that's distinctively his that and that many have copied uh, yeah. or I'll say been influenced by at the very least um, and you hear shades of that here although it's funny how um, with the other voices that are part of this group that it it sort of emerges and gets subsumed into these other things that are going on sometimes. Well, it's, you know, listening to this group, everybody in it is very involved with sound and, yes. and aware of sound. Uh, can, can I ask you to write a, a brief uh, college essay on the connections of that in this group and Harriet Tubman because I think there's a there is a big connection there compare well, contrast yeah I mean it, it's you know the thing about sound is or you know producing sound on an instrument that's the first step um, okay a, a related case in point I was uh, on tour with uh, Cassandra Wilson and I was talking with the uh, harmonica player Gregoire Marais and he was telling me about a time he took a lesson with Dewey Redmond. And Dewey 
uh, basically was talking to him about sound, producing sound on his instrument. And Gregoire plays chromatic harmonica. And I think uh, he, Gregoire had said something like, well, you know, I, I was speaking to Dewey, and I, we did this lesson. And, and so I said to him, so when, you know, when should I come back? And he said, Dewey said to me, well, when you can play a G. You know, when he, he said, well, what should I do about that? He said, just play a G. Play a G natural till you get a sound on it. Just play it until you get a sound. Now, to, some, to a casual observer, they might think that this was someone being abusive to a student or manipulative or cynical or, or kidding them. Uh, but people who understand that uh, the process of repetition in creating sound, producing sound, when you're learning something, is it's everything. Um, when you make room for the sound, you're understanding silence. And you understand that sound is really just an articulation of silence. And the thing that's happening between the notes is really the, th the thing. It's actually really the thing. Um, for the uninitiated, the sound is the thing. And that the best musicians in any moment, in any room, on any stage, at any time, are probably the best listeners in the room. And that could be everybody on the stage, or one person, or nobody. But those are the things, sound, listening, um, silence. And great players um, will communicate that with you. And the idea, again, about lyricism, like you get a different kind of lyricism listening to Cecil Taylor uh, than you do listening to Keith Jarrett, than you do listening to the melodic lyricism of, let's say, Ornette Coleman, or the melodic lyricism of, you know, Lester Young. But again, you get this thing about sound. Um, you know, horn players, generally, they're, they're well aware of that. Um, in the current age of electronic music creation and production um, and certain kinds of instrumentation, sound is something that is happening at a source away from who we are. And that, uh, that change in the process of music, the experience of music and the creation of music has resulted in a different intention Right for for music making and and thereby the audience is experiencing something very differently. I, I personally think that there's a deprivation in that, um, and in whether it's um, by accident or some other motivation, it's uh, a disservice to humanity to the human organism. Um, that vibration, the vibration that's a result of digital sound or electronic sound um, is interesting and it, it has certainly a, a beneficial use and a beneficial aspect. However, the process of understanding how to produce that and create that within your own beingness um, is something that the music that we just listened to and the music that was made in this period um, the values that come along with that are are so important and they're so vital, um, and they're natural. They're they're just really natural to who we are. But that thing is what you'll hear when you come to hear Harriet Tubman. You'll hear um, that insight expressed as music. Um, I also have an acoustic duo that you may know, Mitch, I'm, I'm for Living Lovers with Stomu Takeshi and me, and the whole thing with our duo 
came about as a result of the instruments that we play, as well as our musical sensibilities. But we play um, guitars and acoustic bass guitars designed by the luthier Steve Klein, who is a genius, lives in Sonoma, California, and ahead of his time and ahead of his curve that presents other issues. Talk about that later. But sonically, these instruments cause me to respond and create and react in a very different way, one instrument to the next. Now, this may sound very, you know, esoteric and perhaps it's not interesting to some people, but the impact of it, and when you're in a listening environment and you hear that, uh, we know it. You know, some part of us, maybe it's in our ancient memory, in our DNA for sure, in, in the vibration of the physicality of, of who we are, the materiality of who we are. That's the thing that's empowered and affected um, and that we, we conjure with, um, dream through with, with music. It's um, a wonderful, amazing thing. So sound in this quartet with Keith Jarrett, is, it's always changing. You know, the sound field changes uh, from soloist to soloist, as we were talking about, the thing that happens when Dewey's playing or the things that hap that's happening when Keith is playing. Uh, he's also very, you know, he's notorious for singing along with what he's doing. Uh, who was it? Someone told me a story about uh, they were listening to a Keith Jarrett solo record and their young child was hearing the music, listening intently, and they said, um, what is that? And they said, oh, it's, you know, this piano player named Keith Jarrett is playing piano. And the child said, yeah, and someone else who doesn't, sing very well at <laughs> the <laughs> same time <laughs> listening to Key's vocalizations but sound is the thing I, I, I may forgive me world for not being more articulate than that but no, that was fantastic uh, I just called on you to write a college essay and you did it before <laughs> before our very ears that was spectacular that's like the music you know that's what happens in the music it's each each moment is an opportunity for a, a discourse or a dissertation. And the longer we hang out in this thing and the longer we continue to grow and understand things, you you have a, a master class in any moment, you know, from someone. I mean, you, you get a master class from uh, listening to somebody tune their drum. Mm, mm, mm -hmm. uh, the way they put read in their mouthpiece when they're setting up their horn. You know, all of these these things, all these aspects, uh, if you're paying attention, if you're alert, inform what you do and how you go about it. So expanding awareness, as much awareness as we can bring to our expression, whatever it happens to be, but as much awareness as we can bring forward and then direct into the thing that we're sharing with you or communicating with you, that's what's happening. You know, awareness is the name of the game. And certainly Keith was very, it's, I mean, has very much been involved with awareness throughout his career. Um, talks about it openly in writing, and the solo concerts were certainly a big part of that. Um, Are there other things you do, and I don't know if you want to talk about, if you know about Keith Jarrett in particular or anybody else that draws this out of, um, I mean, it's everything, yeah, I guess, yeah. but... No, I mean, for me, with, with my, in, the channels that I learned through, the, the people who were mentors to me, and um, which, interestingly enough, most of them happen to be associated with or come through the AACM. So some of my 
big teachers about this. So I'm talking about Leroy Jenkins, uh, Henry Threadgill, Wadada, Leo Smith, uh, Butch Morris, Oliver Lake, uh, Muhal, Richard Abrams, um, Ornette Coleman. You know, people I've got to talk to or play music with or spend time with or who um, shared little pieces of things or big pieces of things. Um, but the quality, the aspect of key people for me associated with the ACM and Ornette too especially, uh, that thing about, you know, sound and um, sound and listening, you know, patience, um, statements, you know, de defining what you're doing. Um, it's also interesting that those guys, even though they may be associated with what people call, you know, avant-garde or things that are out, um, are actually lovers of music in general and can tell you a lot about a lot of different kinds of music that many people would be surprised who who casually write them off would be surprised to know that they understand and have a, a, a basically a very uh, lo musically loving appreciative relationship with these things um, I remember hearing a story Roscoe Mitchell was telling a story I sat at breakfast in a Austrian hotel with he and Muhal one year uh, and Roscoe shared this story about how he'd gone to this festival. And I guess Muhal and I had played a duo concert together a little bit before, and, and Muhal was talking to Roscoe about it, about the concert we did. And, and Roscoe launched into this story about going to a festival one time, might have been with the Art Ensemble of Chicago. And they get to the venue, and there's this group playing beforehand. And he said he heard this trumpet player playing on stage. And he said, I, you know, I was listening to this guy, and... It was so interesting because each note he played had a different shape to it, a different quality. The way he was delivering, he said, was really bad. And I went to see who it was, and he was wearing a baseball hat at the moment, and his head was down. He was playing, so I couldn't see his face. And I kept listening, and he was playing all this stuff. And when he looked up, it was Freddie Hubbard. Hmm. And that was not who I expected <laughs> right. to hear that right. yeah, he sure. was going to say about that. But it just told me so much about... Um, the, the insight of, uh, you know, a great musician like Roscoe and how learning to listen without prejudice, uh, what that does for us, you know. And, and you know, don't, it, it serves, it really serves no purpose to get caught up into stylistic apartheid, but a lot of people do. Yes. Um, so, you know, we're all finding our way out here, so we're all finding our way. But that's... Uh, a moment, again, a, a teaching moment, a learning moment, and a moment of expanding awareness about things um, to come back to what we do. Reminds me of something that I'm going to share with you on the air, Brandon, because I know you've been uh, going to great lengths to, and I'm sure, working through your own personal feelings about it, but also reminding people of the gifts that Butch Morris shared with us in music. One of my great frustrations and disappointments in this show, we were talking about doing a show, Butch and I, yeah. and uh, he was not, uh, he ended up passing before we got to do it, which I was very sorry about. But uh, I was, I don't know if I told you this, that I was, we were, I was working on 
getting the music together for it. And I asked Butch, I was like, who would you want to talk about and listen to and do a deep focus show on? Have I told you this? No. And two names came out. And I, if there is even, I should do a contest. If even <laughs> one listener guessed this, I would, I don't know, give them a show to do or whatever <laughs> prize they would ask for, because I'm sure no one would guess. I'll give you one guess. I'll give you one I guess have, who we might have said. With Butch, man, I have, I have no idea. It could have been. It's so broad with Butch, so I won't even. He said Don Redman. Okay. Gil Evans. Okay. Those yeah. were the first two things out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sure that a lot of people, even people who think they know his music very well, I was surprised that he said that. Right. And I don't think he said that for any reason to try to appear to be anything right. other than the fact that no that's butch that's what he was that was butch. what he heard yeah and uh so yeah very much to your point that um yeah now, i said earlier in the show i used to call butch sometimes in the winter time be like two or three in the morning you know deep deep february nothing going on and uh i'd be upside let me call butch and i'll call butch and be like hello say hey man hey man Tell me, so tell me, and we'd launch into something. And for me, usually I'd be listening to something, and I remember calling him once, and we got into this long discussion about Dionne Warwick and the period, of course, and she was working with Burt Bacharach, lyrics by Hal David, and talking about all of these uh, these great songs and uh, the writing but Dion singing and, and then moved on to, again, talking about Keith Jarrett and uh, all kinds of things and just... You know, just the appreciation and love that someone could have for different kinds of things um, that you would not necessarily guess by uh, the period that they might be in at the moment that might look entirely different from a Dionne Warwick song. But understanding that that insight and that awareness is inside of a conduction. That's part of a conduction, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Without question. Yeah. You are listening to WKCR FM New York and WKCR HD1 or maybe WKCR.org or I don't know, maybe uh, maybe something else that I don't even know about. But uh, yeah, tell the folks where they could find us, 89.9 FM or on the web or uh, wherever you might be. And I'm Mitch Goldman. We call the show Deep Focus. Brandon Ross is here tonight, and we have put our laser-like attention on Keith Jarrett's American Quartet. We've got some magnificent live recordings from a period when that band was active, 73, 74, from the KCR archives. And we, we, we plowed our way through this performance in Berlin in 73, we have another live recording. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the following year, we're in Boston. And uh, I'm trying to remember. I don't want to get this wrong. And I've got it here before my eyes. We're in. Uh, we are at the Jazz Workshop, which oh, was that's... a venue I've never been to. That was gone before I came along. But you being I was, a... I was there. I saw actually... Herbie Hancock, Headhunters, there. Ah, ah, ah. I think I have a recording of that. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> Why, did you make it? No. <laughs> I, I just met you. I don't, I don't even. <laughs> yeah, it was right around the same period of time, I think. 
in any case, but you were, uh, yeah, tell, tell me what you remember about the venue. Um, you know, it was, the, it was, uh, I think I'm, 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 now I'm second guessing my memory, but um, it was a place where you went to go to check stuff out. How about that? <laughs> okay, we'll leave it at that. But uh, this sort of gives the lie to what I was saying earlier that these, that Keith Jarrett's American Quartet, when they did play, it was usually a, I think it still usually was true that it was a major concert venue, maybe a classical venue or a real traditional concert hall. But uh, here they are at the Jazz Workshop in Boston, September 18th, 1974. And this is the American Quartet, not enhanced with an extra percussionist or such, but uh, Keith Jarrett's piano and soprano saxophone, Dewey Redman on the tenor, Charlie Hayden playing the bass, Paul Motion playing drums, and uh, Brandon Ross is here with us tonight. Yes. Harriet Tubman is at New Blue, Friday, June 5th at 10.30 p.m. Yep, that's what's happening then. And here we go, get, get your jetpacks on. We're off to Boston, 1974. Music from the KCR archives from Keith Jarrett. Thank you. 
We're in Boston. It's September 18th, 1974. We're on stage with Keith Jarrett's American Quartet. Keith Jarrett playing piano. Dewey Redmond, tenor saxophone. Charlie Hayden on the bass. Paul Motion playing the drums. We heard uh, uh, an extensive workout on the rich and the poor and death and the flower there. You are listening to WKCR, but it's not just any program on WKCR. We call this show Deep Focus because we have a guest come into the studio and explore these archival recordings with us. And tonight, very happy to have Brandon Ross here in the studio. And uh, we've been uh, we've been digging deep, man. We've yeah. been laying in it. <laughs> it's uh, you know the the, the off air conversation actually <laughs> is really needed to be the stuff that's on air. But um, we've been waxing very poetically actually right now uh, about Dewey Redmond, and I, I was just saying how uh, undersung I feel Dewey is because he is sung in many ways, but. Dewey was uh, really a singular sound and singular player on, on saxophone. Um, and I just, you know, I'm sitting here, I'm shaking my head just because I, I think about uh, this area of what he was doing this period with Keith Jarrett, then all the work that he did with Ornette, uh, his own projects, his solo projects. It's amazing. Just, just really, really, really something. Yeah, there is a. He plays some of this music is incredibly sophisticated, and but there's this warmth and humanity and uh, ease about him that's absolutely unto him and no one else. Yeah, it's, it's you know it's it's that deep blues thing, and uh, I was speaking about this recently, probably with. Uh, DJ Hardedge, we were talking about Wadada Leo Smith, and um, I was recording with Wadada last year, and we were listening to some playbacks in the studio, and I had wandered out into the main room to collect some gear, and some of the headphone cues were still open, and in a couple of the mixes, you could just hear the, the trumpet being played, and so I was grabbing something, and I was listening, and I realized in that moment, I could just hear the trumpet and the solo line, the line moving through all of the, the rest of what was going on. It, it was so interesting because it was as fragile and delicate as the most gossamer creation you could imagine, but at the same time like a, a titanium skeleton that completely articulated and outlined the identity of what was happening in that piece. And when you heard it in context, it, it's almost, it's not obscured, but it was, um, it was kind of uh, clothed or, or just hidden slightly within this. But when you stripped it all away, it's like, that's what that piece is. That's what that thing is. And it's this pure kind of blues line. And, and people use the word, it's bandied about a lot blues and I have to say that uh, at this point blues is it's it's such <laughs> I'm laughing because it's it's for me it's <coughs> so gargantuan these days it's it's this tremendous thing and it's um, it's it's a way of uh, communicating it's a way of processing information um, rather than a stylistic signifier and when one understands what that is uh, 
it opens up an entirely uh, fresh universe of approach in playing music so that there are a lot of you know blues musicians who are involved in this extension that people c commonly call jazz but when you go back to the, the essence of what they're about and what they're doing um, you can see this kind of thing that I've just described in relation to Wadada, but Dewey had, had this thing in spades. And you certainly read about it, you've read people talking about the, you know, the big, broad Texas blues sound and tenor saxophone, and they talk about all kinds of people with having that thing. But uh, the moment it's glimpsed, something else happens, you know, the whole, the whole world kind of opens up. You know, these things for me become, they become uh, what we call metaphysical because it's the world unraveled and decoded, just to reference back to Shannon who opened up the show, decoded for oneself and the language becomes uh, redesigned to fulfill an individual's intention, personal intention, and yet is still connected to that whole. Um, that's you know, when we get that from wherever it's coming from, that's a wonderful day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, there's, there's uh, some interesting contrast bringing that into a comparison of uh, hearing this performance in this club in Boston, a jazz workshop, and having just heard the same ensemble almost in this grand European concert hall. And uh, I'm wondering if you might apply the notion of scale to, hmm. to this group. Huh. That, that's an interesting thing. I, I, was, I noticed at the end of this piece, someone in the audience was just like, yeah, you know, they were just doing that thing, which is a very American understanding. Yes. Well, here's another, uh, I'll put a little, shine a little brighter light on that for you. So not only have we gone from Europe to the U.S., not only have we gone from the Philharmonia in Berlin to Jazz Workshop in Boston. I believe this recording was probably made by the big local rock radio station. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where this aired, and that was at least part of the crowd that was opened up to this music at this mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And we could talk about, um, at some length probably, <laughs> about what was happening in 1974, different kinds of instrumental music and crossover with different kinds of popular music. Yeah. And some of that touched on this group at that time. It, yeah. I, I mean, I guess it would have to. Um, I don't know how strongly the, the strains of musical apartheid, as I call it, were, were, were wrapped at that time, you know, around things. I can't recall because I was still pretty young myself. But I was... Uh, yesterday I was discussing the influence uh, of Stevie Wonder versus the influence of Michael Jackson and which was perhaps uh, more significant if, you know, to even wander down that road was, <laughs> was kind of silly. <laughs> but uh, I had to reflect on that and to think about the times that each of them developed in and how their, uh, their contribution, what the resonance of that is, because Stevie Wonder, who's still with us, is, um, you know, he's, he's in a, a small group, relatively small group of, 
of peers in terms of uh, their duration in the music business and their level of success and influence, uh, the time that they came up in. People who come to mind right now are like uh, Stevie with, uh, let's say, maybe Paul McCartney and maybe uh, Smokey Robinson. But even then, that might be a little different. But again, masters of the three-minute, two-minute song format. Yeah. Paul Simon still around. Uh, people who understand that and how to do that and are masters of that. But then you have this broad, broad influence. So thinking about the Jared group and um, what might have been happening there and then tying that in, into the, the European audiences, what that music meant to them, how, how it means for them. Um, it's... Uh, I would, you know, I would hesitate to to venture a guess actually about it because it's got to be experienced by Europeans as outsiders and as something that is other than them, but something that calls to the uh, the basic human thrust and and move toward freedom, you know, uh, and probably is seen unhinged from all the stuff, the cauldron of experience here that makes the music very American. You know, a lot of the, the tension and unresolved stuff that <laughs> we're getting a, a revisitation of these days in contemporary terms. Um, you know, I'm thinking, it's an interesting question. I can't think of another group that goes by a name like the American Quartet. And obviously that's partly in contrast to this other working group, this European Quartet, but um, I'm wondering if Keith Jarrett actually used that phrase, the American Quartet, if it was a... I, I think I may have heard it announced somewhere by a, a presenter on a recording of, of the band to distinguish you yeah. know, which was which. But I mean, it is but I'm not sure very American that. thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, the American thing is, is, is unique. It's, 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 there's a lot with it that people would want to renovate about it. Uh, yet it produces the, the the stuff we've just been listening to, and so much uh, so much expression that is appreciated and and valued around the world. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Ah, we're just well. More than anything, it's just a great joy to listen to this group. To me, I mean, uh, hearing the way these guys come together with this music. Keith Jarrett's piano and his compositions, and uh, each of them leaders in their own right, too. Certainly Charlie Hayden. Yeah. Certainly Dewey Redmond, Paul Motion, all of them uh, composers, band leaders. If, I'm trying to think if not, if any of them maybe weren't then, they certainly were in years to come. And uh, all of them wrapping themselves around this music together. Yeah, it's a really great band. Really, really, really a great collection of individual voices, you know, that somehow worked together. Brandon Ross, guitarist Brandon Ross, band leader Brandon Ross, composer Brandon Ross here in the studio. Deep focus on Keith Jarrett's American Quartet. And I'll tell you once again that Friday night, June 5th, the week from this coming Friday, at New Blue Avenue C in the East Village here in New York City, you should come and catch Harriet Tubman. Right. Harriet Tubman at New Blue for their 13th anniversary celebration. Uh, 
Melvin Gibbs on electric bass, JT Lewis on drums. And yeah, come down and, and check out the, the frequency of what's happening now. Actually, at New Blue, their motto is the music of now. Mm. Speaking of the music of now, I'm trying to think how many separate or overlapping ensembles you are a member of at this at any given moment. At any given moment. You know, you can be a member of a million bands at one time. <laughs> uh, it just all depends on which one is working. There's that. So, uh, or, so you can have as many or have none at all. It, <laughs> it's it, true. It's, uh, it's a funny thing. But I'm right now... Um, Harriet Tubman is the main focus. Uh, my duo with Stomu Takeshi for Living Lovers is the main focus. And a project that I've been developing uh, over the last three years called Pendulum with uh, DJ Hardedge, uh, my brother, bassist Kevin Ross, who turned me on to a lot of this music we've been listening to today. Um, older brother and great guy and great friend. Uh, Chris Edelton playing drums, and either Stephanie Richards playing trumpets and flugelhorn, or Graham Haynes playing cornet with electronics, uh, and then sometimes as a, as a quartet. And we'll be playing also during the month at New Blue. We'll be there on the 21st of June at 10.30. So that's a project that I'm looking at dealing with uh, the not exactly electronica aspect, but the sonic aspect of DJ school and sound design, as Hard Edge calls his thing, and um, some, quote, traditional, unquote, instrumentation of, you know, guitar, bass, drums, and uh, the horn in there. And we've been having a, a very interesting and fun time working on that thing. Someone described it as a music cloud that seems to move through the room and the pendulum name is coming up behind the idea of oscillating uh, degrees and intensities qualities of activity throughout the presentation of a show so that's going on and uh, the Black Sun project will probably be showing its head in 2016 late 2015 and that's Harriet Tubman and Cassandra Wilson our collaboration as a band uh, and we've got Cassandra playing loud electric guitar on 10 and, and singing with us in the band. And that's been a lot of fun. Um, and this latest project called Dark Matter Halo that I'm doing with Hard Edge and Doug Weaselman and I on electric guitars. We have a release that's just coming out now. Uh, it'll be showing up any second called Darkness Interrupted. And that's by Dark Matter Halo. Um, Again, this is very much about sonics, um, electronics, uh, dimension in, in those kind of sound environments. And uh, interestingly, a lot of people have found it very engaging, and someone actually called it Dark Side of the Moon for the 21st century. So I, I, that was kind of interesting. We'll see if that, if that prediction holds up. Uh, and then I'm working with Wadada, Wadada Leo Smith. We're going to be doing some stuff together. And Harriet Tubman and Wadada have a new release coming out probably in the fall. We've got that in the can. Melvin Gibbs is mixing it as I speak, I'm sure. And then uh, I've been working some with Alicia Hall Moran, who is uh, a wonderful singer, 
operatic vocalist and Broadway vocalist, and also with her uh, very well-known husband, Jason Moran. And Alicia and I have a project we do together called AIR, Alicia Intersection Ross. And we'll be doing a thing late June uh, called Dark Wonderland out at the Greenwood Cemetery in Brooklyn, mm. June 25th, mm. 26th, and 27th. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're doing some interesting stuff. So, yeah, there's a lot, a lot going on, a lot to keep track of. What's the best way to keep track? The best way to keep track is the usual portals, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, I use Reverb Nation a lot because I find it uh, an easy way to get to things. And um, get on my mailing list if you come to a show. Brandon Ross. Brandon Ross. Always. This is a great way in. If you are one one of these people, like many of us, who say, "Eh, I don't know. Uh, What are you listening to? Mm, I haven't heard anything I really got excited about lately. Check out what Brandon's doing. And I promise you, doors will open. (laughs) New, New roads of discovery await. Yeah. Well, uh, three hours kind of flown it, by it in did my go book. go by quickly. So we're down to what, like five minutes or something? <laughs> Pretty yeah. much. Last words, thoughts on uh, any, any new, new insights into Keith Jarrett's work from spending a little time with this? Um, I'm going to go home and listen to some other records. I can, I can tell you that. And uh, um, the other thing about this is that I listened to a lot of this music during my very formative periods of learning to play with other people and getting into the world of jazz and improvisation in general. And uh, I've noticed that it's also been, and for quite some time, I've been scuttling a lot of that that stuff, a lot of that influence. Because again, a recording is just a frozen moment. It's an artifact. But it's very interesting how these things, anything listened to repeatedly for me, it'll turn up while I'm do, trying to do what I'm doing. And so it, it's important to clean house and keep things keep things fresh and actually to just, uh, what's the word, just clear out, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. divest mm-hmm. of the... Get the furniture out of the room. In. Yeah, man, it, it's so important. It's so important to do that, um, you know. It's kind of like that Zen thing. If you see the Buddha on the road, take out your... Clock. (laughs) (laughs) Brandon Ross, thank you for coming, man. Thanks for sharing the music. Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) So great to be here and to hear all this music for the first time. Right? I know. Me too. It's really wonderful. I'm Mitch Goldman, and we call this show Deep Focus. Let's go back to the bandstand in Boston. 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 (laughs) Beantown. (laughs) Keith Jarrett, American Quartet on stage, WKCR. WBCN Boston.
Monday, May 25th, 2015. Brandon Ross in the studio with me on the topic of Keith Jarrett's American Quartet. It's Deep Focus. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman. Did you notice? Did it sound different? Be honest. You could say no. And uh, we try to make things sound really good for you. And we tried something new this week. I'm curious if you noticed the difference. Please let me know. Good way to tell me and uh, get in touch is via Podbean. You can reach me directly there, mitchgoldman.podbean.com. Uh, that's a more private way. I guess you could also um, send a private message or a more public one at uh, Instagram. <laughs> we are deep underscore focus underscore podcast at Instagram. And uh, of course, also you can find us on whatever is your favorite podcasting app. When you do, uh, you might have heard me mention this. Let us know if you like us because it helps people who have never heard the show find the show. It helps people make, helps the podcasting app make connections between people with similar tastes. So people who do not know anything about Deep Focus might find us because you clicked that you liked it. Isn't that cool thing to do? We're all connected to each other. I, I'm amazed by that. Okay. All right. Uh, hey, thanks for coming along. And uh, stay with the music. What can I tell you? I, As I'm saying this in March of 2021, I am hoping that the world is opening up and we get music venues and live music back. And I hope I see you out there. And if not, then there's always the podcast. Deep focus. <laughs>